Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Uvalde Reports. Now, this week was a Republican convention in Cleveland, Ohio. And as expected, there was a lot of drama, a lot of insider things going on in the background. But the first day started with um, the big controversy was Melania Trump, who spoke at a nationally televised audience. And she gave a pretty good speech. But the one thing that everybody focused on was one paragraph or two paragraphs where it looked like she lifted part of that speech from Michelle Obama's speech in 2008. So pundits and analysts can dissect that to see if she did or didn't. So we'll have to see. But there was a um, a speechwriter for Donald Trump who submitted her resignation over that. And Donald Trump just said, hey, people make mistakes and refuse to accept that. So we'll just have to let the pundits detail with that one. But throughout the whole convention, it was full-blown criticism of Hillary Clinton, especially on Tuesday. Rudy Giuliani and um, Chris Christie really laid into um, Hillary Clinton why she's unfit for um, the presidency. And Chris Christie just went down the list, and you know he used to kind of play to the audience. Do you think she's guilty? Guilty. And so they went through the email scandals, Benghazi, and many other things. How Hillary Clinton is really unfit to become president. Now, the other th- big drama was on Wednesday. Now, Vice President Select, uh, Mike Pence, he spoke. He gave a pretty good speech, and he talked about his conservative credentials and how Donald Trump is a is right fit to be president. But the real story came later on after that, where Ted Cruz gave his conservative credentials, and he just told everybody to vote their conscience, but he never officially endorsed Donald Trump. Now, even Ronald Reagan in 1976, he didn't exactly say, I support you know, these words, uh, Gerald Ford, but he said, this is the person, and he endorsed Gerald Ford. So, And it was kind of strange to a lot of people. A lot of people speculate that Ted Cruz did that because he, he believes that Donald Trump is going to lose badly. And when he does, he can pick up the pieces and he can be the Republican nominee for president in 2020. The problem with um, his maybe his strategy is Ted Cruz is not well liked. There's not one member of the Senate that likes Ted Cruz because it's all about his his strategy and he doesn't care who's in the way. So it'll be interesting to see going forward what happens if Donald Trump wins or loses to the future of Ted Cruz. And even when he spoke to the Texas delegation, he says, I cannot support somebody who maligned my wife and father. But last summer, Ted Cruz said glowing reviews about Donald Trump. And it wasn't until Donald Trump wasn't fading into the background that they got into it. So it's kind of duplicitous of um, Ted Cruz to say that. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Now, the political pundits were rating this speech. This is more of a populist speech. And populism has to have this anger and something against this group or this entity. But the political pundits were really looking at how Donald Trump did, what he said, what he didn't say, how he went about it, how does it play to different audience. But they also don't look at a lot of other things. What was in the speech? How would he get some of the things done that he said he was going to get done? How would he be as a president, as working with the Congress? So they never really get into those parameters. And the one thing that's never asked, and this goes for Hillary Clinton, and we'll get into her next week, 
is none of these candidates, both Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, is going to enjoy what Barack Obama enjoyed in his first two years, meaning 60 senators, Democrats, a supermajority in the House. They could do whatever they wanted. And then after two years, he got shellacked in 2010 and then lost the Senate in 2014. So they never really asked that. But now let's go into Donald Trump's um, actual speech. First of all, it's the manner how he gave his speech. Now, Donald Trump is, is very charismatic, reality TV star, billionaire business guy. He has a different style that is kind of unique to the political um, arena. Now, since the end of the Second World War, there really has only been three presidents who are very charismatic speakers. One is John Kennedy. The other one is um, Ronald Reagan. And finally, there was Bill Clinton. Now, when I'm going by as charismatic speaker, this is somebody you can always have your base. The base is always going to support you. But can you get the other, the independents, the other Democrats or Republicans to see what you have to say? They may not agree, but they would listen to you. And it may change some minds. It may not. Now, Ronald Reagan was a conservative president, as an example. But even Democrats said they may not agree with this policy, but they generally liked him. And even Barack Obama, everybody considers him as a charismatic speaker, but Barack Obama can only gen up the base. He's not that great of crossing over to the other side because he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and he's done this in foreign policy and domestically. Well, Ronald Reagan just has a vision. This is where he wanted to go. He never took himself seriously, and that's how he became successful. But when you come to Donald Trump, when he spoke for well over an hour, he really got into that populist screaming, it's us versus them, America's losing, the system is rigged. And that may play to some, but over time, you got to convince your independents and Democratic supporters especially if he's trying to get a hold of those uh, Bernie Sanders supporters. So I'm not really fond of his speaking style. I mean, he may he convince the base, but could he convince independents undecided that he's the man, that he has the temperament to become president? So maybe if he tampered down that doom and gloom. And as I was watching him, and I also read the text of his speech, and I went back and re- read the transcript of Ronald Reagan's acceptance speech in Detroit, Michigan in 1980. And Reagan was very hopeful, very um, optimistic of the future of America. It wasn't a doom and gloom. Now, he did criticize Jimmy Carter and the Democrats, but he laid out a plan. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. He laid out a plan of what he would do if he was president on the domestic side and on the economy. And he just laid a three three vision. He wanted strong abroad and also a, um, a strong economy and to reduce the national debt. Now, pundits can say he didn't solve the third one, but he did felt, get the economy rolling and we were respected and made us the United States stronger abroad. So these are the things that Trump just didn't get to. It was... He was popular, I mean, to those who were his base and his core supporters. But we'll have to see, did he play well to, um, what do you call it, um, the independent voters and Democrats? 
Now, in Trump's speech at the beginning, he stated, and I quote, Together we will lead our party back to the White House, and we will lead our country back to safety, prosperity, and peace. We will be a country of generosity and warmth, but we will also be a country of law and order. Throughout the speech, he mentioned America first and the country of law and order. This is a reflection to the terror attacks that happened in San Bernardino and Orlando and in other areas, especially up in Boston. He talked about the terrorism abroad, but he also mentioned the um, the systematic killing of a lot of police officers, especially what happened in Baton Rouge, the killing of three police officers there, and the killing of five police officers in um, Dallas. Now, this is hearkening back to a day of 1968 when there was war abroad with the Vietnam War, mass demonstrations across the country, and you saw the civil unrest with the, the killings of Martin Luther King and also Robert Kennedy, what sent our cities ablaze. Though that law and order platform was just enough to get Richard Nixon into the White House, especially the debacle that happened in Chicago at the Democratic Convention. So he's playing into that theme, and that may work, that may not. We'll have to see how that goes. But then we go into, as I stated earlier, the one thing that I really wanted to hear, and I think most Americans wanted to hear, is specifics. He talks about the economy, and he talked about how the middle class has been hijacked by the power elites or the political elites in Washington. He does talk about trade. Donald Trump has been against the Trans-Pacific Partnership that was recently signed. He was against NAFTA and other trade agreements and said he's going to pull out of these agreements and renegotiate. But he never says what are some of the key problems of these trade deals, but how would the allies and our, and our foreign partners, especially the Trans-Pacific Partnership, was in direct, uh, direct rebuke of China, what would he do differently in the Trade-Pacific Partnership trade agreements? How would he deal with NAFTA in dealing with Canada, but especially Mexico, which he signaled out, and these other trade agreements? Now, he talks about ending immigration and building this wall. How would this wall be built? I mean, they tried building a little bit of wall of 60, uh, 60 miles, and they had to go through environmental regulations and all the loopholes. How would this be done? So he really hasn't been specific. And then he talks about China, how he was going to fight back against China, against their currency manipulations. He was against China and criticized Bill Clinton for allowing China to join the World Trade Organization and the Chinese stealing intellectual property. I agree with the intellectual property and um, the currency manipulation, but I don't have a problem with China joining the World Trade Organization because that puts us, not just us against China, it has nations of the world against China. So, but he needs to be more specific of what would you do? How would you do it? Who are your key foreign advisors when he deals with trade? Because you're not going to be doing everything. You're going to give the big, the, the overarching strategy, but who are your key aides on all this? So he needs to be more specific on um, the economy. Now, he did talk about he's going to be the biggest tax cut dealing with um, tax reform, but he never specified what is this tax reform going to be. How would he jumpstart the economy? And this one aspect, when he was talking about trade, and this plays into jumpstarting the economy, he's talking to these Rust Belt states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, New York, 
into Illinois, and then you got California. If you, they're not really a Rust Belt state, but they're the industrialized state. You throw in Michigan, Wisconsin, some of these other states. But some of the Rust, almost all the Rust Belt states, which he doesn't mention this, nor does Hillary Clinton or anybody else, they're some of the worst states in the union to run a business. Now, I got a small business. Obviously, I'm doing this podcast for my business. I lived in California. California is really one of the worst states to run a small business or get a business started. Now, he talks about manufacturers leaving the United States. He is true. Manufacturers are leaving the United States and going to Mexico. They're going to India. They're going to China and other countries. But what is not mentioned is why are the manufacturers leaving? I understand um, labor costs are lower in these states. I mean, these countries, that's a given. But try being a manufacturer and setting up business in America, especially in the Rust Belt states. Again, they're, they're usually some of the worst places to set up a business. You don't set up a business. Now, I live here in Florida. There's a construction company, a major construction company that's moving its headquarters and its facilities out of Illinois down to Florida because of the high cost and all the other associated costs of doing business. This is what people need to understand. Now, the one thing Donald Trump and even Hillary Clinton, but in this phase we'll talk about Donald Trump, does not mention is small business. Small businesses are getting killed by the tax code, the regulatory burden, especially as it relates to the Affordable Care Act and the Dodd-Frank financial overhaul reform of 2010, which is supposed to rule rain in the big banks. It didn't rain in the big banks. It really punished the small regional banks who had nothing to do with the financial collapse. And the big banks are bigger now than they ever were in 2008, 2009. So the small business community want to know, well, what? how would you jumpstart the U.S. economy? What regulations would you get rid of? Well, how would you reform the tax code? How would you reform? Because I know he talks about, which he didn't go too much into this one in his speech, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, how would you repeal and replace it when you would have to get the Senate and the House to go along with it? And if you become president, you're not going to have that supermajority in the House, nor will you have a 60-vote threshold in the Senate. You're going to have to work with Democrats to get that overhauled. That's the same way with Hillary Clinton. But he doesn't mention that. He needs to get more specific. And because small businesses are reeling now, in 2014 of May, well, May of 2014, the Brookings Institute, which is a progressive think tank up in Washington, they reported that more small businesses are leaving the economy than coming in. Now, they didn't just didn't start with the Obama administration, but it really accelerated under him. So how would he, how would he fix, get more small business? How would he jumpstart the entrepreneurial spirit? Because his business dealings really hurt a lot of small business. So how would he do that? That needs to be seen. And the only way for America to grow is the small business community needs to be jump-started. They need to really be revived. And I don't see any candidates even speaking on that. But the one thing that both candidates, Hillary Clinton and, and, and Donald Trump, failed to focus on, Donald Trump focused on the $19 trillion debt we have, but he never said how he would reduce the debt. Because the biggest driver of the debt is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. Now, the entitlement programs, then you have to add in Obamacare, which is another entitlement program. 
So how would that be accomplished? How would we reduce the debt? How would we reform our entitlement programs? And if he doesn't say he wants to reform it, there's no way you can get that debt down without reforming the entitlement system. So how would he do all this stuff? That needs to be answered. And so far, neither candidate has answered that. And nothing has been stated during the, the whole convention, nor did he state that in his, um, his acceptance speech. Now, on foreign policy, obviously the big um, criticism, he said, is NATO needs to stand up. NATO needs to pay its fair share. Certain countries aren't paying their fair share. He never singled out which countries he's talking about. But the one thing that he failed to articulate, which Ronald Reagan did very effectively in 1980, is what's his vision for U.S. foreign policy? And this is the critique I have against the president, Donald Trump, and Hillary Clinton. They've never laid out a vision that you need to understand that America, whether you agree with it or not, assumed the moral leadership of the world. The world, when we back off, the world goes into chaos, and we're seeing that now. Now, this doesn't mean I'm advocating massive military intervention. We have other tools in the tool shed. Now, I served 30 years in the Marines, did three combat tours. We shouldn't use the military as our one-time solution to all problems. But we should understand that the United States has a unique role and the world likes it when the United States leads. When we lead from behind, chaos results. And that's what we're seeing in the Middle East. Now, Donald Trump talks about ISIS, how we're going to defeat ISIS. But he never talks about the other regional powers, Russia, Turkey, Iran. You have Syria. You have the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia and the um, the other Gulf states in the Persian Gulf, they all have competing interests in their own strategic vision. Because the United States waited so long and made a strategic blunder by removing all forces from Iraq, you have to encompass all these these countries into an ISIS strategy to defeat ISIS. Defeating ISIS is one thing. What replaces ISIS in Syria? You're seeing Iraqi forces go into Ramadi, Fallujah, preparing to get into Mosul. But in Fallujah and Ramadi, they use more Shiite militias. The Sunnis are still maligned in Iraq. They're not really engulfed, um, ingrained into the um, Iraqi government. What about the Kurds? All these factors have to factor in, and you need a comprehensive strategic strategy. All we're focusing on now is the, um, the tactical and the operational, meaning this is what we're going to do, and this is who's going to do it. But that's not def- not articulating what is our strategic strategy. What are you trying to accomplish in this region? So these are the things that need to be uh, discussed. Now, obviously, he talks about immigration a lot, immigration from the Middle East. These are the things that are going to have to be discussed. He needs to get more detailed in all these things because these are hot-button issues. And it'll be interesting how he's going to get this done. But the big thing is, how would he deal with the Congress? Because even if right now the, the, the Congress is controlled by the Republicans, let's just say the Republicans maintain the Senate. So he would have the Senate and the House. But he's not going to have that 60-vote threshold. So they're going to have to work with some, some Democrats. Let's say he loses the Senate but keeps the House. How would he deal with the House Republicans but a Democratic-controlled 
Senate. Looks like Chuck Schumer would be the Senate Majority Leader. How would he deal with that to get things done? So there's going to be a lot of turmoil, and the next four years are going to be extremely difficult for this country, especially the polarization of this country. And whoever takes office, whether it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, they're going to be facing all these leftover problems that President Obama didn't want to deal with. This next president is going to have to deal with it from day one. So that's the question. And then the question becomes, who would he choose? Who's advising him on domestic matters, foreign policy? We're seeing some of the mistakes. Now, this may be a minor matter, but the speech that was done by Melania Trump, the speechwriter, didn't fully vet it to make sure there was no plagiarism issues in that. So that is just very rookie mistakes because Hillary Clinton has a beefed-up staff of 600. Latest count, Donald Trump has about 90 to 100 personnel. So how is he going to deal this? I know he's never been a politician, but these are some of the things you have to factor in. So this country is going to be an interesting four years, and this election is going to be interesting four years moving forward. So the media really needs to to really challenge these candidates, and we'll have to see that. Now, next week at the end of the Democratic um, convention, I will do the same thing with this and just critique the Hillary Clinton and the Democratic uh, convention. So listen next week. In the meantime, go to Amazon or any of the book manufacturers that have a book out called The New Business Brigade, Why Businesses Need to Hire Veterans and the Untapped Resource They Represent. Go to Ubaldi Reports on my website. See what I posted there. Go to um, iTunes and Stitcher. Type in Ubaldi Reports. Let me know what you think of this podcast. What are some of the other issues you want to listen to for my podcast? I'll do the best, my best to research it. Leave some questions. I'll try to answer those questions in the podcast. And But the most thing I can say is let your friends and family know about Ubaldi Report. We're trying to provide fact, not fiction. And let me know what you think and continue on and spread the word of Ubaldi Reports. Thanks a lot and listen next time.